Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, Tran Hermostis, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. Today, we have a very special episode. I mean, every episode is so special, but this one definitely is going to hit home for me because we are talking about divorce. Today, we're bringing on Alicia Robertson, who is an author, speaker, and trained life and divorce coach who helps recently separated women through her business, Lemonade Life. She knows exactly how devastating it is to hear the words, I want a divorce. Alicia recently launched her first book, Make Lemonade, Thrive Through Divorce by Transforming Your Life, which debuted at number one on Amazon in both the divorce and relationship categories. Clearly, there's a lot that people need to talk about and we just aren't. I'm so excited to have this conversation, to learn, to heal, even for myself. All these years later, divorces like this mark on your journey and we we start a marriage with this big splash of a celebration and then when it ends it sort of just fizzles away and you're left with all of the pieces to sort of navigate through afterwards so i'm somebody who never really had a divorce coach i didn't really know anybody in my world who had gotten a divorce and i kind of became that person that people were like oh you know you got a divorce and so now being somebody who's been open about having one, even if not why I got one, I'm excited to have somebody who like truly is in this arena every single day. So please welcome Alicia Robertson. Alicia, it is so nice to have you. It's so nice to be able to talk about something that for whatever reason is still so taboo. I I say it's taboo and I and I think it's not, but then everybody in my DMs is like got nobody to talk to, nowhere to go, trying to navigate this stuff. And I I love an expert in anything. I love somebody who's really gone into a subject that is honestly either freeing or devastating depending on what side of it you're on, but all sides need navigating and there isn't a lot of guidance for that. So maybe you can start by just sort of telling us how you got into this work in the first place. 
Yeah, I'd love to. And Sarah, thank you so much for holding space for all of these vulnerable conversations, because you're right. It still is taboo. There's so much shame and stigma. I just was asked to do a talk uh, on the weekend and they said, no, no, talk about divorce. And I said, are you sure? Are you really, really sure? And they said, yeah, yeah. Nobody showed up. Nobody showed up. Because the thing is, it's so confidential, it's so personal to open yourself up to come into a space to talk about divorce is incredibly vulnerable. And so oftentimes I'm even approaching it from the sides, right? It's about finances. It's about co-parenting. It's about personal success through this process. And the thing is, is that what I've come to know is that divorce quite simply was my rock bottom, that it's never just about the divorce. It's about so much suffering and so much loss of self along the way that you finally come to what is almost an impossible decision for yourself and your family. And I, I see this all the time, just like you are only three years in having impacted over 20,000 women who are just wanting to know, will I be okay? You know, can I have some support and not go through this in isolation and surrounded by people who get it right. And, and in a space that's aspirational and positive not all the doom and gloom and toxicity of it. And so I just, I'm, I'm feel so incredibly blessed to be able to talk about this taboo topic. <laughs> yeah. I will say like, it, it is, it is taboo and it is going there. And I think a lot of times the question I'm always asked is like, how did you know it was really over or how did you know? And I think what's really hard is every single time we talk about divorce, it, it actually dips its toes back into the why you got a divorce or mm-hmm. how you got there or how, like in my story, I was the one who, le- I was the one who said I want a divorce and everyone kind of comes from different angles, depending on what side they're on. But everyone comes to that same moment of this is over and it's not about the why anymore. It's not about what happened. I have in my head, and I've used this analogy many times before, is it's like sitting in, being in a car crash and everyone's rubbernecking and they're turning around and saying, but how did this happen? Who's at fault? Who was driving? Who was this? Who was that? And yet they just continue on down the highway and you somehow get out of the wreck, but nobody was in the car with you the whole way there. Nobody was in there and nobody cares once they keep going down the highway. So in the moment it's happening, it does really feel like you're, everything's kind of bottoming out. But as soon as it's no longer like splashy for people to say, sort of like surround you with, oh my gosh, what happened? All of a sudden you're left with, okay, this, and it's not even about the relationship. It's my entire life has been building up to this. I went to school for things. I, I'm, that's not my experience, but I'm just like saying in general, people go to school, you buy a house, you, you lay down roots, you have a family. So when that ends, I remember for myself, it took me three years between the time of saying I want a divorce and actually leaving. And a lot of that was the grieving process of, but my things, but my house, but the life that I've built, but the perceptions, but the friends, but the this, but the that. So walk me through sort of what you find in this work now is like the most, uh, where people get stuck, I guess, because I feel like I'm still five, six years down. My husband's been divorced from his ex-wife for like 10 years. And every time we talk about it, we're like, he actually brings it up as being a bigger life event than a wedding. 
a wedding is a start of something. A divorce is an end and it means it's much bigger impact on your life. That really woke me up to the reality of how big this is and how little we're talking about it. So I would love for you to just kind of share where people are really getting stuck and how you kind of have built a business off of helping people through this stuckness area of life. Yeah. I, I, you know what the thing is? So people always come to me. I I love what you're saying because it's so true. First of all, I I never thought I would actually be supporting people that are contemplating divorce Mm. that are into separation. Some have been blindsided. Some are trying to intentionally plan for something that will be a good experience for their family. Others are divorced and just not thriving. And so the whole thing is that Divorce, quite simply, is a project in terms of the legalities and the things that you have to work through. And I've sort of handled all tough stuff in my life. Like, okay, how are we going to boss up, right? And do this project we have to do. So for me, the flip is, okay, this divorce in terms of paperwork is an opportunity to become financially independent, Mm. right? To have a cohesive family plan that is really establishing what is your new partnership, your new relationship as co-parents, right? You have to start over from scratch and really be the best you can to have that stability for your kids. But what it all comes down to, Sarah, with every human I work with, divorce or not, for so many women, for all the reasons you mentioned, it's about self-worth, healthy boundaries, communication, and confidence. Mm. And those are the things. People often come to me how do I do this incredibly difficult thing and navigate divorce as a process? But what they actually need and what they're actually saying is the personal self-care, the healing, the recovery, actually understanding for maybe the first time in our lives, who am I? What do I want? And do I have the courage to go for it? For the first time ever, we all get these whispers, right? It's like you said, I love marriage. I love marriage. And the thing is what I know that always surprised me you know, all of a sudden you get public with your dirty little secret. Right. And then, and then people, why, what happened? Whose fault was it? What about the kids? Are you sure you've tried everything? Just this judgment and, you know, all this tone of, of just a lack of support where it's like, come on people, whether we're married or not, we know what kind of work and seasons of partnership happen. Mm -hmm. And it takes courage to stay in it. And it takes courage to get out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I often will say to clients, you know, where they feel like they're in this, they're stuck, right? Like they've got to justify I've done everything. I've thought of all the things, or they have to come to a negative impasse where somebody's maybe stepped out of the marriage because they just need an out. And it's like, well, none of that, it matters, but we can heal from that. But the thing is they're just, they need this reason when in fact, we don't need a reason. We don't need to justify, right? We just need to make a decision, be informed and be equipped with skills to push through what are old patterns. Yeah. And I mean, you bring up several points, but there's one thing I was really thinking on, and that's just what you were saying about, you know, finding that confidence and stuff. Again, a lot of times the relationship decisions that you make as a couple really impact your ability to be independent and it can feel, make you feel really small and lose a lot of confidence. For me, that was not having my own bank account. And I had to, at 30, figure out how to get a bank account. I felt like a child. I cried to every banker that I talked to because I just felt so small and they were all so amazing. But it was the women who had gone through divorce before. The second I would say it, they'd be like, we're going to figure this out. Like we have this, it's good. We've got this together. But then the other side of it is like sort of speaking into the fact that like 
there is this mentality that divorce means that you didn't try hard enough and you didn't work hard enough. And this comes a lot of times when people, you know, we're talking about the stats and you're like, marriage is so disposable now. And, you know, in my day, you know, that didn't happen. But the reality was it was hard for people to ever get divorced. It was hard to have a socially acceptable ability to. There often wasn't two people or able to work outside the home. There was a lot of more restrictions. I don't think people were happier. I don't think that they had better marriages, I think that they just like didn't have options. That's my like overall thought. But the fact is when we look at like these stats and people are like, people are just walking away from marriages. The best thing that somebody ever said, there are a lot of things were said to me as soon as I got divorced and I hid it for a little while because I like had to slowly get comfortable I think I told my sister by text message, like I had a really hard time. My parents knew and they were really good at holding that secret for me. But like, eventually people were like, where are you living? Why are you at your parents' house? I had to start, you know, breaking free and starting to tell people. And I remember my aunt who's in Colorado, she messaged me on Facebook and said the one thing that is like truly stuck with me through all the years. And she go, she didn't ask what happened. She didn't say anything. She was like, I just heard And I just want to say that nobody ever gets divorced for no reason. So I hope you're doing well. And I'm really proud of you. And I was like, like, to this day, that still impacts me because they had no idea what it took to make that decision. And to just be, have somebody say like, nobody gets a divorce just for fun. Like just because they want to shake up their life a little bit because they're feeling bored or whatever. Like these are big traumas. Like these are big things going on just to have somebody not ask you why, and just be able to say like, I'm proud of you. Like this must, whatever, whatever it was, whatever it might be going on, that must be really hard. And I'm really proud of you. I even had people say, congratulations. That was also pretty funny. Like would you have people be like, congratulations. And I was like, well, you get a lot of congrats and you get married. So I might as well congratulate you when you get a divorce. (laughs) It has changed me so much as a person to go through divorce because I was somebody who just always thought themselves above it. Always thought that they would just, I had a marriage where it was like divorce isn't an option. You work through everything. And now I'm like, I, and I, I got, I got people a little spicy at me for this one, but I run into marriage now that divorce is always an option because now we get to choose marriage every single day. And that is such a beautiful, freeing thing coming from two people who have been divorced, one side who had divorced chosen for them and the other side who chose divorce that every single day I wake up in my marriage now and I look at my husband, I know he's here because he chooses to. And I know I'm here because I choose to because divorce is always an option for us as opposed to how I felt almost caged in a situation where divorce wasn't an option. So this is your life. You got to work this out. That's really hard for people. And it's really hard to feel like you failed at something. Now we're going to pause for a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How well would you take care of your car if you knew you had to keep the same one your entire life? Well, that's how our brains work. So why don't we treat it the same way? And please don't reference the way I personally take care of my car because it can get a little cluttered, which to be honest is maybe a comparable that is relatable. But how we take care of our minds affects how we experience life. So it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. There's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. 
For me, therapy has been something that has not only helped me through seasons of life, but equipped me with tools to be able to carry on through experiences better and better each time. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to see anybody on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. I think this is so great for anybody who's maybe ready for therapy, who's maybe not sure if they can get themselves pushed all the way out the door, but that maybe could put some headphones in and take a chat or listen to a call and not have to be on camera with someone, even just to have somebody to live chat with and feeling like you're getting that support, that is transformative. That can change your life. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash papaya. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash papaya. Please take care of yourselves and maybe let's declutter our cars a little bit too. If you know me, you know. I really had to reframe the way I look at sleep and look at it more like rest because sleep is a variable. I might not always be getting it, but I can be seeking rest. And in order to seek rest, I need to find ways to have restorative rest. And when I get sleep, restorative sleep. I love Cozy Earth because they develop and craft high quality goods with responsibly and sustainably sourced materials from the earth so that you can get that restorative sleep, that restorative rest you need to curate your sanctuary and recharge from the comfort of your home. Cozy Earth is softer than cotton. It's made from soft and sustainable viscose from bamboo fabrics. Cozy Earth is temperature regulating, which means it keeps you cool and comfortable all night long. I actually struggle with night sweats. It's something that came with having hormonal changes over the last few years and having a way to keep myself cool through the night is actually really important, not just for my sleep, but also for my rest so that when I wake up in that sweat, I don't feel like I am in a hot environment, which makes it really hard to fall back asleep. Cozy Earth has also been featured on Oprah's favorites list for four years in a row, and they have a 10-year warranty on all of their products. And this is really special, a 100-night sleep test. That means you can try it for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, you can send it back for a full refund. Cozy Earth has provided us an exclusive offer for today's listeners, and that's 35% off. Like, are you kidding me? 35% off site-wide when you use code papaya. That's CozyEarth.com. Use code papaya for 35% off site-wide. Incredible. Thank you so much, Cozy Earth, and everyone take care. Get that rest you need, especially in times like now where things are just a little bit chaotic. Let's get back to the show. One more thing, and then I want to throw it back to you, but I have to say this before I forget it. The movie Marry Me, I hope you see it at some point, J-Lo and Owen Wilson. Okay. But in this movie, she's been, she's this pop star and she's been divorced so many times. And he was like, but you still want to do this? Like you still want to go and like get married again? He's a mathematician. And she goes, well, if you can't get the answer right on a, on a question, do you just stop? Do you just give up or do you keep going? And she was like, I believe in it because I believe it's like 
almost like an equation. Like you have to still take that chance, even if it's a million to one, even if it's like 99% failure rate to the 1%, she's like, I'm still in it to try. Like, I still want to do it. And I was like, that's such a beautiful way of looking at the numbers. Like, yeah, half of marriages fail but half of them succeed so beautifully. And as somebody who thought they'd never get married again, the same way we talk about anything else, people talk about marriage like it is one singular experience, but they don't talk about their jobs that way. They don't talk about their relationships with anybody else that way. They only talk about, like you would never talk about uh, going to your job and everyone, and you're like, I'm really struggling at work. And they'd be like, well, what's going on? Are are dynamics with your bosses, your coworkers? Is it the job itself? Are you too stressed? Are you burnt out? They would never say to you, oh yeah, jobs are hard. But when you are struggling in marriage, people come to you and they're, and you're like, okay, I'm really struggling here. What they say to you is, yeah, marriage is hard. Marriage is really hard. It's a lot of work, isn't it? They never are like, what are the dynamics that it's hard? What is this? Are you feeling burnt out? Are you feeling stressed? Are you feeling tired? There's a lot to unpack there. Anyways, I'm done on my little rant. There's a lot I had to say there. You just touched on so many things. And by the way, I love, I get a little spicy too, where I'm like, I could be like Liz Taylor, forget marriage number two. I could yeah. have five or six. You know? yeah. Like, I, I mean, why not celebrate and be in the moment and choose marriage, right? choose not marriage. be yeah. afraid of it ending yes. or held in like these, again, we get into these mindsets of these all or nothing types of tropes. It's, it's forever, you know? And honestly, I have to, you, you, you hit on something there that I think is also a stigma for women navigating, you know, reentering the the dating world, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in my experience, it's not as easy for women to bring a new date to all the events as it is our male counterparts that it seems more expected, right? It's like, oh, well, that's a little bit sleazy or, or, or is he the one? Are you going to settle down with him? Are you going to introduce him to the kids? I get all these other questions and all this pressure when it's like, wait a second, I'm just, I'm enjoying myself. I'm exploring other humans and, you know, partnership when it feels good for me is going to be something that is going to be, you know, deeply personal and in the moment for us. And it, and I mean, come on, you're asking someone who thought her first marriage would be forever. Yeah. If this is Mr. Forever, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and you hit on something else that I think is, makes this unique and incredibly challenging, which is the grief mm. and something that we've been talking about in, in, and a lot these days is that it's disenfranchised grief. So grieving again, has the stigma and this one size fits all, right? So if you have lost someone, everybody can rally around that experience and support you. But for all these other losses that are equally traumatic and filled with crisis and all of the meanings that they are, we don't have space or hold space for them. And so what happens is, is that either you're perceived as not grieving enough or grieving too much. And what happens is we're further isolated. We have more depression. We actually have more suicidal thoughts and tendencies. It is incredibly lonely and we just don't know how to get through it. And I have to say, as much as I support human beings going through this experience, it's about all the people that are supporting them. I often invite them to build their inner circle and bring them into the conversation so that they can learn how to support them better and in a more healthy way, right? It's about the lawyers and the doctors, you know, my own therapist, she said, I would love, you know, a book or a roadmap because though I support couples, I've never been through divorce myself. Yeah. It's so true. And, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that I had people that even though they had no 
idea on what to do with like a recently divorced person. I did at the end of the day, I had some turnover of friends that was unfortunate because I got married at 19. I had no idea who I was at 30, let alone who I was while working two jobs, being a single mom, all of a sudden having the opportunity to date that I've never done before. There was like so much of self-discovery there. And of course, there was going to be some moments that people weren't going to be suddenly approving of. There were times when I had a great discomfort in being alone. That was a really hard lesson Mm -hmm. for me of like, what do I even like? What do I want to do with myself? And in the early days, especially as I began to co-share my kids, they would be gone from the house. And I was like, I'm just supposed to sit in this silence. I couldn't do it. And because your life, who I ended up becoming friends with were people who had a lifestyle matchup they weren't people. I stopped getting invited to everything to do with married couples. Nobody invited me to anything anymore. So then immediately I'm thrown into single girls. So I'm going out on a Friday night or Saturday, such a pacifying, freeing thing that was, but so full of judgment. And I'm like, I'm going through the worst time of my life. You'd think that people would just be like, whatever you need to do. And I've now like, it's so funny because I've had to, you know, that first thought, second thought mentality where the first thought is like kind of what we're conditioned to. And the second one is what we decide. And the first thoughts, a lot of times when I see people newly single or out of these marriages, and it's like, oh, they've kind of gone wild. Like they're kind of out there. Like they're, are they, where's the kids? Like I still have those thoughts about other women too. We're so conditioned to think like she isn't grieving. Like you said, she's not grieving hard enough. She's not grieving long enough. Like girl, if they're anything like me, they probably grieved for three years before they made the choice. So now this is like the after part of like, okay, they did it. Now there's life that begins. But then I started dating. And what did I do? I hit it. I hit it. I didn't tell anybody on social. There was a few pocket of people who knew he's now my husband, but like legitimately we were so quiet about it because again, it was like, when am I allowed to move on? Where is the mark in my journey to which I actually get to live my life and not the life that other people envision for me? Because this is a daily process for me that I'm walking through. But for everybody else, they're like, it's only been a year. Do you know how long a year is? A year is a long time. I waited a year to start like fully dating, being in a relationship with somebody. And that was still a lot. Like that was still a lot for people. That was too fast. I got engaged a year after that and had somebody reach out. So we, we were, we started dating about a year later. We were private for a year and then we got engaged. This is now two years after divorce. And then we got married the year after that, but somebody actually DM'd me and was like, do you think that you prayed hard enough? Like for your marriage? And I was like, literally sent it. Like I have a ring on my finger from somebody else. Like this is not appropriate. But again, I wasn't grieving hard enough. I wasn't grieving long enough. I wasn't going down the path that other people had for me. So is this common that people feel, first of all, sort of like they have no idea how to navigate it. They are, is there a lot of struggle I found with myself, like dating was almost like pacifying loneliness. Like, is this a common thing with women that we really do struggle to be alone? Is that something that you see a lot in your work? All the time, right? It's, I mean, I was, I, I lived in my bedroom for a year. 
Yeah. That was the only place I felt safe in my whole entire home. I stayed in the matrimonial home. I didn't know how to flow through my home. I didn't know where to land, where to watch TV, you know, where to do any of the things. I had to relearn every single experience of my life. I chose yeah. to stay because I thought, well, whether I, you know, change the bricks and mortar or not, I'm still going to have to figure out how to work through this and to be alone. And slowly I did. I started like the loneliest time for me was the dinner table. The dinner table was the reminder that my family was no longer. My grief was at its all-time high every single meal. And I was, my kids were young. They were like a year and four. So all I was doing was like, you know, table manners, table manners. It was so lonely. So I got rid of the dinette. So that's it. Smart. We're not, we're not doing it. This is now it's our happy hour and our sitting area in the home. Right. I just started to slowly walk through my life and ask myself with attention, like, how do I want to feel in this space? What will make me feel safe and comfortable and alive? Mm. And I redid everything. And I'm talking everything. I Googled authenticity a million times. I'm like, what is this word people speak of, right? What are yeah. values? And I had to, with curiosity, approach my life every, how do I want to eat? How do, yes. right? How do I want to nourish my body? How do I want to sit and enjoy my food, right? Like, decorating your house. For me, I went and bought pink sheets and I was like, oh my gosh, it's the only time in my life that I get to make a decision like this. Right. That's not true. I can totally have pink sheets again, but there was like that bit of freedom of, oh my gosh, I don't have to, my therapist called me a sponge. She said, I sponged everybody else's opinions and I had to work to learn my own. And that was huge in divorce because it was you're constantly, and this is a beautiful thing about marriage is you learn to compromise and you learn to make decisions together, but then you feel really lost and very adolescent when you're suddenly having to make decisions by yourself. So suddenly it's like, wait, what do I, what, what foods do I like? Where do I like to go in my free time? What are my hobbies? What is, you know, how do I want to decorate the house? These are all like, when it comes to authenticity, like the authenticity is just your own curiosity because you're, there is no you yet you're finding her. And that's such a beautiful thing. Totally. And I, and I love, you know, when I'm working with ladies, see this, you know, that little act of just asking yourself how you'd like to feel right now, or what can I do to feel that way right now? Just, you know, have being open and curious and having accessible self-care in mm. your own space. Yes. That yes. simple measure of prioritizing yourself is building the self-worth right? We, we forget to prioritize ourselves. And, you know, it's like, we've lost our sense of self because we've quite simply been living according to other people's values. Yeah, I myself am a recovering codependent and people pleaser and all the things I live to caretake and to serve. And I love those things. And those things give me an incredible amount of fill, but I didn't have healthy boundaries in place and I didn't know who I was. And so I lost myself and I was depleted. Let's take a quick pause because I love talking about anything that's going to give you time back into your hands. And if you are a nursing or breastfeeding parent, this is for you because LV Stride is LV's new hospital grade, haha, hands-free electric breast pump. Yeah, that's right. Hands-free. It's powerful yet quiet, blending into the background of your everyday life without sacrificing power, comfort, or efficiency. It's actually very lightweight and it's worn in bra under clothing. LV's lightweight breast pump collects milk in bra, keeping your hands and body free to move. 
Did you know that the amount of breastfeeding you could do within a week is almost equivalent to a full-time job? For some, it is more than a full-time job. So when you take that time and try and spread it across all the other needs you have for yourself, your baby, everyone else in your world, that can get really hard to sustain. That's why I love something that just fits into your flow of life instead of having to be one more thing you have to do. Because when you're nursing, having to do pumping on top of that is really hard. And if you're using a traditional pump, That means you're restricted to one area for your whole session. So all of that full-time job that nursing is doing is adding on top of that you're basically doing double time. LV Stride is hospital grade. It's now hands-free and it's affordable. It's app controlled so you can control your pump remotely and keep tabs on your pumping history all without reaching into your bra. It has 10 different settings to control your comfort and suction, and you can do a lot of things while still pumping, like doing the dishes, laundry, recording a podcast, and it's not going to overpower into your audio. So for those who are working moms and you're looking for something that just fits right in, I love this for you. Right now, you can visit lv.com slash papaya for more information. That's E-L-V-I-E dot com slash papaya to get your hands on LV Stride. Let's get back to today's show. Hi, I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. We're the co-hosts of a podcast called A Thing or Two. It comes out every Monday and the basic premise is this. We share all the stuff we think more people should know about. So that's apps, recipes, books, the nationwide Haagen-Dazs vanilla bean shortage that nobody else was talking about. No one. No one. (laughs) Our preferred vacuum brands of which we have multiples and critical explorations of our unique approaches to paper towel usage. Listen, we think you're going to like it. A lot of people do. And who's to say you'll be any different? Listen and subscribe wherever it is you listen and subscribe to podcasts. Let's talk about that then, because Mm. I, this has to be common because I did the same thing. It's not that it caused like, thankfully I'm still with my husband now, but when we were dating, it was, it wasn't great because I didn't have healthy boundaries. And I also didn't know, I didn't know how to create finding space for myself. So I was almost like argumentative, combative. When I wanted to feel emotion, I would start fights because I had somebody say to me, and I was really offended at the time, right after my divorce. And they were like, you are so used to drama in your life that you're going to find yourself creating drama now that it's over. And I'm like, you piece of crap. Like, absolutely not. All I want is peace in my life. I just want peace. So then I end up in this relationship with somebody who's like cool as a cucumber, never causes issues. We get along so well. So what do I do? I like ask questions about his ex-girlfriends and I'm like, when did you do that? Who did you do that with? And I would get mad at his past for no reason. Like now I look back at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, girl, what were you doing? (laughs) But that was me like truly not, I wasn't in an emotionally well place, but I was dating. And I, and I assume that a lot of people end up in these spaces too, but how can we, you know, walking out of marriage, walking out of codependency, What would you say is really great advice in terms of like, yeah, beyond the just like asking yourself what you need every day, but let's say we're like are interested in dating or we're starting to date and we're like, hold on, I still don't really have a grip on myself, but I don't know if I want to let go of that part either. What's a great like way for us to navigate creating boundaries and creating better choices maybe for the future? Because that can be 
you don't want somebody like me that comes out of feeling a cage situation to being like, I'm just going to tell you everything I think all the time, even if it's like really crappy of me. I, I wasn't a great girlfriend for a little bit there until he would really sat me down and was like, this isn't going to work if you keep creating problems like all the, at every turn. But that was me just wanting to feel validated, wanting to feel safe in the relationship, wanting to feel assured in the relationship. I wasn't ready to be in a relationship because I wasn't assured of myself. I didn't have that self-worth yet. So maybe talk to me through like how we can really protect ourselves and make really good decisions coming out of a situation so that we don't end up codependent again. And if we do, if somebody's ever gotten that situation, you got a divorce times two times three times four, like who cares? Like shame is not here. We're not here for no. it. I don't care what you did. I, we've all made mistakes. We all do things to, we're all like self-sabotaging sometimes. Right. So, but it would be great if we could avoid that too. Well, this is like, the other like dirty word that I hate. Oh, you're so lucky. Right. Oh my God. You're so lucky you found somebody. Yeah. Right. You're so lucky you found this. Okay. Wait a second. This all takes a lot more than love. Right. We need alignment on goals and values and lifestyle compatibility. You know, we need to effort for ourselves all the time. Mm -hmm. And so this isn't one and done. It's not like, okay, I got divorced. Now I'm going to do this thing. And now I'm going to get into another partnership if I choose to, and it's going to be all good. This is a forever process, right? And so all of the material that I coach on through divorce is the same material I use every year on an ongoing fashion, 100%, right? I ask myself, so for example, you know, what are your values? What are your three to five words that are your guiding code of conduct, right? Mm. How do you make time for those core values in every day or on a weekly, right? on a monthly for whatever it is, for however you want to live, that requires you to always be with an intentional mindset towards how you can accomplish those things. And that means that then for relationships, you know what your top three is, and then you can lean in for, with curiosity in terms of your partner's top three and be constantly working towards what are your values and your goals for yourself and also for that other person, but in an interdependent way, right? First, you're a hundred percent whole and happy and responsible and aware for your own self as they should be as well. And then together you're able to really, for me, I feel like it is just, you know, amplifying all that goodness. You're enhancing one, one another's lives, you know? And I don't think I have, you know, again, so in my case, I was two years where I was working on all this stuff and my bestie was a hot mess going through all the dating and all the wrong ways in the dating apps. And so we were kind of, woo, okay, we'll take a nugget from here, a nugget from there. It's, there's no right or wrong, right? It's just, you know, understanding what works for you. And if your person shows up, your person shows up. And if they don't, they don't, but the sense of responsibility, the accountability, the growth mindset that you're constantly evolving is on us. That's an individual thing. I wish they taught this before you ever get married the first time. Cause I feel like you (laughs) learned so much through divorce and I'm like, I just wish we did this so much longer ago, not that it would cause you to avoid anything, but so that in times of grief and loss, for whatever reason, uh, with a partnership that you still feel like you've got some grip on yourself. And I think that for me and what I hear from a lot of people is like, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know myself without this person. I don't know my life without this unit. I want to be out so bad. I don't know how they told me they want to be out. I don't know how to be I don't know where to go. There's the sense of like, I'm on an island. Like, where am I? And if we start all of our days 
in relationship. I, I talked about this before too, just like that idea of how much we celebrate partnership. And yet we have one relationship that stands the test of time. And that's the one of ourselves with ourselves, right? Like that is again, that movie with JLo that I'm obsessed with. She has a song in it called, I am the love, the love of my life. And she sings it after she's like gone through this breakup. And she's like, I am the love, I'm the love of my life. And she's singing it over and over again. And it's like, but there's no rings for that. There's no celebrations for that. There's not a lot of society celebrating the single woman. So why would you feel secure to leave a partnership? Or why would you feel secure alone when you're so celebrated in being partnered? You're so adored being partnered. And it's so like about melding the two into one that there's very little advice on how do you keep yourself while in relationship? How are you great alone? And so that you know, no matter what happens, because like I said, like getting married again, it's it's scary. It's like, you know, can go what can go wrong. You know that you can become in these situations or somebody could, my husband could walk home and be like, I'm I'm done. And that's not a decision that would be mine, but I need to know that there's me within that still. So these yeah. questions and this work that you're doing is really just it's, it's too bad that we have to find and learn it through divorce, but it's, it's such great work for everyone, no matter where that, even in the midst of a 30 year marriage, this is a great time to get started on these things. It doesn't have to be divorced to start you there, but talk to me about the book, because first of all, congratulations on it hitting number one in divorce and relationships. Did that shock you or were you like, no, we were so ready for things like this. And then tell me about the book. And I mean, where that came from. I was so ready, Sarah. I have always known that I have had a book in me Mm. and that I would leave a legacy through a book. And I just didn't know what I would advocate for. I didn't know what would be my cause. And I would have never imagined that divorce would be the cause. (laughs) But here we are. (laughs) You know what? Writing the book was so incredible. So prior to the book, I quite simply was in executive development and coaching and organizational development and, uh, and really went back to school to learn how to do a different approach instead of the results-based, you know, climb the corporate ladder approach, more of a mindfulness approach. And so that's what, what I was going to do. And I just wanted to write a book that would help women to explore and navigate divorce in a more healthier way. And so the first book actually turned into what is now the digital and group program that I run that is called Unwife. And so, uh, because when I went out into the space, I just wanted to cover my costs. I'm like, I'm going to produce this book. Let's just see if there are people that will purchase a book. And so to my delight through Instagram, which I love and is now this beautiful community, there was so much opportunity and so much in in the world's capacity to handle this conversation. And so I did that. And then this book that is out is actually much more of a memoir. And this is a much more vulnerable experience of what was my experience? What is my story? And how did I myself walk through the things that I now coach on? Mm. It's really beautiful. It goes from everything from, you know, dropping that fear to, you know, becoming the leading lady of your own life and to navigating all the firsts because there's so many firsts. And as you know, this is the thing people think, oh, it's divorce when I'm done. Wait a second. If you have kids, change is forever. Mm -hmm. Change is constant, right? All the firsts, the ages and stages alone, let alone new partnerships and blended families. So it's it's a forever thing. You're not defined by it, but Mm -hmm. it forever is a part of your life. 
Yeah. I love when people are like, oh, people just throw marriages out. And I'm like, are you kidding? I'm going to have to be at every wedding, all the graduations with my ex. There's th- nothing's been thrown out. He's literally just living down the road. Like, not really. He's, he's a bit further than that. But still, like, we we have independent lives from each other, but they have to intersect. So I have to, my, like, Shane doesn't have any, doesn't even know where his ex-wife is. Like there is nothing there. I've got kids with mine. So we have a weekly interaction with each other. Uh, nothing got, nothing got thrown away. We had to adapt to a very new reality very quickly. And one that was very apart from each other and very independent and yet still together. And that co-parenting aspect of it, I think a lot of people are very afraid of, and I'm not going to say that I had the most brilliant experience with it, but I mean, you get there. Like, I think everyone kind of gets there and it's never, I, it's still not a road that I find easy. I still have weeks that I sob when I drop my kids off because there's like that, damn this, they didn't sign up for this, but then I have to take myself back from that and go, wow, they have so many people that love them. Like that is such a beautiful part of all of this is they have multiple homes that they can land in. They have multiple adults they can go to. They have so much love surrounding them and so much support and so many people that I'm just like, dang, these kids are so blessed. Instead of me being like, I have broken my kids. Like that's just not, it's, I, I'm not going to say divorce has been like easy on them in any means. Sometimes my daughter, my daughter Gemma is really spicy um, and sarcastic. And the other day she forgot something at her dad's house. And I said, you've just got to be more responsible about making sure that you've got these things, you know, in order, because this happens a lot. You forget something and then I have to drive across town to get it. And she looks at me and she was like, huh, huh, it's not my fault that you got a divorce from dad. And I was like, oh my gosh, Gemma, like they still joke about it and they'll still like make a thing of it sometimes times. And I'm like, the kids, the kids are so much more resilient. And I think there is a lot of me that was just so terrified of what this meant for them. And then I remember telling the kids and girls were crying and my son looked at me and he's like, do we get a goodie bag for this? Like, is this like, what am I getting out of it? Like kids are so funny that way. And they're so amazing. And I think that there's a lot of responsibility that comes with divorce. And it's hard when you have to layer on being a parent on top of that, but there is, it's hard to do marriage and be a parent. It's hard to have a job and be a parent. It's a lot of hard things and be a parent, but like, I just can't envision a world anymore that they came from a broken home. I I think they came from a, a built home. They, they came from a, a house that they now come from a life and a house that has been carefully chosen and, and built around them, not because something combusted, but I have to ask as somebody who kind of works in helping people co-parent as well, because I had a friend bring this up recently, it's different terminologies that were said to her when she was younger, that made it really hard for her to be a child divorce. And one of them was when you say like, well, your dad, this, or your mom, that, and it made them feel like it was their parent that they were responsible for. Therefore it was their fault. Is there other things like that that you've come across that are like as supporters, as outsiders, as co-parenters, whatever you are, little tiny tinkerings of things that we can be doing better for those in a co-parenting journey? Yes, absolutely. And this is why communication is one of the bigger ones. Yeah. You know, language is everything. Language delivers the belief systems, right? And, And this can either break down or lift people up. Yeah. And so- 
yes, that can be incredibly harmful to say, you know, your dad or your mom, who is in part them, but it's, it's everything. So for me, I always stay focused on the kids, right. And I always stay focused on the situation or the circumstance. I remove all of the personal language, all Mm. the judgment, all of the opinion, right. And I just quite simply, you know, ask the kids lean in with curiosity, validate their experience. You know, I can see this is, you know, challenging for you. I can see that this is hurting you. Tell me more, right. And allow them to talk. They're so, you know, kids are so smart and they know so much. If we just give them an opportunity to help them process and unpack, our job is to give them the coping strategies, right. To model those coping strategies and then to help them to be able to work through what it is that they're dealing with. And so even in times of maybe they didn't agree with the other parent, let's face it. We both have different homes. How we get there is going to look differently. Right. And again, we can't have judgment. I'm not a perfect mom. My home isn't perfect. So, you know, it's like to support the kids with leaning in with curiosity and helping them to go back to that parent and be able to talk to that parent themselves. Yes. Right. Or if they can't, and it is just something they're working through, it's again, to come back to values. Mm -hmm. Well, what are your values on that? How would you choose to show up or to do? And, you know, isn't this an opportunity that you're able to see a variety of ways that people approach life and you can make the choices that work best for you. Yeah. So I just believe in always being curious, validate and having this opportunity, you know, as they, you know, say, it's like that, that boat in the middle of the river and it just sort of bounces off the edges and we're just helping them to stay afloat in the middle. Right. Mm, That's so well put. And I have to, I say it to my kids all the time. I'm like, I'm not like, I'm not your driver. Like I'm sitting in the passenger seat who has a map of a path that I've taken, but that doesn't mean that I know the perfect one for you. And you know, your dad is also going to have a totally different path and like different opinions and different thoughts at the end of the day. Yes, we are your parents. We have to parent you. That is like our role, but the job is to prepare you for adulthood. The job is to prepare you for independence, which means we are your influences. We are influences in your decision-making, but that's that doesn't mean that what I say is like the, is the fact or whoever, whatever parent says is the fact you still have to be able to, like you said, what are those values? I love that terminology of like really bringing it down to like them discovering their own, not necessarily just adopting yours because it is sort of that process of their own discovery as well. So that as they enter into adulthood relationships, potentially marriage, that they go in with those values beforehand, which I think is, that's really good advice. Right. It's sort of, I mean, it's, it's almost, we sort of get emotion. We get, well, not sort of, we do, we get emotional when it comes to our family and our kids and, you know, with our co-parenting partners and it's just, you know, removing that emotion and coming back to, Hey, how would we lead our kids through this? If it was a coach or a teacher Mm. or their peer, right. Or a job it's, it really it's the same strategies. It's just that we get so emotional about these things. And there are kids in a nanosecond, we can be activated, right? Because if our kids are struggling and suffering, we want to solve for them. Yeah. Yeah. And we know that's not right. And we know that that's not what they need, but ergo, we are human. We We are are human moms, you know, and sometimes that happens, but I really just try to have compassion for the other side and to, really stay out of that zone of judgment. Mm, 
that's such good advice. Cause that's, that's really hard, especially for those who I have a few people in my DMS who are, you know, their, their husband left them for another woman. And now they're having to witness their children being parented by somebody who hurt them. And then another party who hurt them. So there's a lot of emotion involved. It takes a lot of yourself to set that aside for the sake of the kids. That's tough. So let's, let's, I'm not going to, not to say that anybody is making a mistake. People are going to make mistakes. We are a shame-free place here. I made mistakes. What are some common mishaps, mistakes that we're going to talk about shame-free that happen after divorce that you find a lot of people are, I think it's just a a very fair thing to talk about that people are on the common struggles or common mistakes that happen right after divorce or leading up to it that in your expertise would be great if we could avoid, or we could at least unpack. Okay. So the first one that comes is not putting so much pressure on yourself to make a forever decision. Right? Like we feel like we have to know everything right now. We have to do this paperwork and have all the decisions made. And we're going to know all of what lies ahead. In the and that's so hard because lawyers are like, all right, well, at Christmas time, what do you want to, I don't know. Well, when they graduate from college, who is what? what I remember they were like, like, what if you can't make a decision? Who's the mediator that you're going to have in here? I'm like, well, that's going to depend on what the situation is. <laughs> It's so wild though. People need to like also take serious, like, yeah, you're making your, they're not forever decisions. Everything could be renegotiated, but also like not right. rushing through those things either, because I'll tell you, I just went to the passport office. I had to bring all, that whole packet of things and go through them and be like, okay, you're allowed to hold the passport. You're the one that's allowed to apply for it. This person has to sign off. This letter has to be sent every time you travel. I was like, there was a lot that went into this document that is still playing into my life today. Like I'm still, like you spilled coffee all over this thing. Like it wasn't a big deal. And like, you need this document all the time. So it's like, you are making these big decisions, but also like trying not to, yeah, like there's important decisions you're making, but they're not necessarily forever decisions. I love that. I remember my separation agreement or whatever the final document sealed yeah. in the envelope comes in the monopoly. Yeah. Envelope. Oh yeah. It's a big one. Shoved it's like it, 45 like, pages long. Right? Yeah. Heavy thing shoved it to the side lawyer, like a month later, are you going to pay your bill? Like this is, you know, pretty, whatever. I'm like, well, where's the bill? I never got the bill. It's like, it's in with the, yeah. In with your- like, well, who the hell opens <laughs> that? That's like, I don't want to burn that. <laughs> and I agree with you. The passport office was one of the times I felt the most like violated in my life. Like I had to prove that these were my children and that I was entitled to get this documentation. It makes you feel illegal every single time you're doing it. Every time. Because you're like, oh, I have, here's my letter of consent from my dad that I could travel with them. But yeah, that's just a really good one. Like speaking of forever, but you're also like making big decisions. So it's like tough. But what are some other, but you know, like the decisions and it was sort of ties in with, you know, these, it's like, to think to the future in terms of, you know, so new partners, right? That can be really, really daunting. Okay. But instead of getting really stuck in the hurt and the pain in the future, when I have a partner, how will I want my former partner to treat my new partner? Ooh, that's right. To not like draw these lines in the sand that are actually going to hurt your future self. Yes. Right. So like, it's the emotional decisions that we make. It's just, you know, okay, they're emotional. They come up, be supported, have professionals to help unpack and to deal with these things, but really truly to have the foresight to go, Hey, my future is going to look different. The other thing that always with women, they go, I, I, I want my babies all the time, all the time. I, I can't imagine sharing my babies or moving from the matrimonial home. Right. We, yeah. Boom. 
okay, wait a second. Let's just be open-minded to know that there will be a future mm-hmm. and you will need recovery time because people say this all the time. I am already doing all the parenting. Okay. But I'm here to tell you as a single mom, it's a double down. Yeah. You're going to yeah. do even more and it's going to be even greater than you ever imagined. It's hundred percent financial responsibility and hundred percent parent responsibility. That is right? a lot. Yeah. A lot all the time. There's nobody to trade off in the home to deal with mm-hmm. arguments or mealtime or whatever that yeah. might be. It is you all the time. You need recovery time. You need mm-hmm. personal time. You need a life outside of your children. Yeah. This is how we stay stuck again in all these attachments that our purpose is in these external attachments. Our joy is outside of our body. Mm-hmm. We need time to recover future partners. Where, where will that person fit into your life? If you have your children all yeah. the time, right? Yeah. So I just like these decisions, it's sort of like, let's just take a moment here to realize that life is not going to look as it is today. There is a whole bright future ahead. You could have a new career. You could have right a new partner. You will have a new family dynamic. So just not to make these decisions from an emotional place that is Mm -hmm. a lack and fear. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's such great advice. And I think it's, it makes you feel guilty when you're like, oh, I love co-parent. I love like sharing my kids, but uh, living through it. It's a lot because you are, and people will say to you, oh, it must be so nice to have a night off. And it's like, well, yeah, everyone else is doing their like 50% and sharing it, whether it's financial load, a parenting load, whatever that might, even I was a stay-at-home mom for 10 years. I know what people are referencing to and I get it. Yeah. Those nights off are real nice and real necessary because even to this day now, like today is a Monday. So my kids are at their dad's. I have just Lemmy at home and my oldest who's with me today as well, but I'll like half the load of, I normally do. And I will likely work a longer day because I realize that I do my best to sort of work around them so that they're not noticing me gone. They're not noticing me too busy. They're not noticing me try and overcompensate too much because at the beginning I was working two jobs just to make ends meet. I'm working, uh, you know, having them at the beginning when we didn't have anything settled out yet, it was, I was not even seeing them. I was like, this is for me to be able to financially meet my needs. I'm never going to see them. So co-parenting allowed me to, okay, I can work more hours on those days and then I can have more time with them. Then, then there were other aspects where I started to evaluate, like, where's my time going that became really pivotal. And for me, I realized that my weekends, because I was working so much, I was spending my weekends cleaning. So then I hired a cleaning company. And even as a single mom budgeted for that, cause I was like, that $150 I was spending a month was saving me almost four hours every weekend that I, I wanted to have with my kids. So then again, these values and priorities and people will always judge you for how you spend your time and money. And I think it didn't make a lot of sense to people that I could be a single mom working a couple jobs and also having a cleaning company come in. But I was like, my priorities right now, I want to spend time with my kids. So I'm trying to fit so much into the time they're with their dad. And then the, when they're with me, I want to be with them. Yeah. I just want to be there. Right. Right. So co-parenting now being so far down this road, I, in my head and in my heart, I'm like, I wish they were with me all the time. And that's like a sentiment that I would tell them till the end of the day. It's like, I, I do genuinely wish that, but I also realize that's not exactly a reality that I can claim because it's not a reality to which any of us have a healthy balance. It's not a real, and I, this is where I'm like, side note, like there's single moms who genuinely don't have a co-parent and that's like a whole other level of hard. And I want to like hold space for that. But if you have opportunity and as I have, I was the, I was the core parent. I was a stay at home mom. I did all the things. 
And there's a beautiful side of all of this where, you know, my husband being the main provider before didn't really have as much opportunity with the kids to do the same things. And now he's really like, he, they have a bigger and better relationship now. Like, I hate to be like, divorce has been good in that way, but like, it ha- I have to choose that. I have to, I have to claim that, right. I have to claim that sharing my kids might actually have been a better solution than me having them full-time all the time. I don't, I don't know that I could have sustained on that, not in a healthy way. I think that this is the one thing that I talk on all the time is that, you know what, it actually forced me to model greatness to my children, right? Mm. That the boundaries, right? I was forced to be able to be much more in the moment with my time. So before doing all the things, running around, doing all the meals, right? Doing all the cooking and the cleaning and the playtime and so on, or less playtime really, you know, really what I was modeling for them was to be the doormat, was to be the people pleaser, was to do everything and to do nothing for myself. And now as hard as it is, they actually see what are healthy boundaries around my time and their time and that necessary, you know, opportunity, right. For us to both, and then to respect each other more when we're together. Mm -hmm. Hey, now we have an opportunity to come together and to support one another. The other thing too, my kids have to do more. It's just us in the house. So they are, and it's just me. So I need help. You, yes, yes you got more responsibility, right? Yeah. More responsibility. So there are, I mean, yes, you're right. You know, we choose to see the silver lining, you know, but it is, I think there are a lot of benefits to my kids having gone through this experience. Mm-hmm. They, they, of course they're, you know, and their kids, that's the other thing. And I will say mom guilt can be triggered in a second, right? When the kids are upset about this, that, and the other thing, but when you really sort of ask them and lean in with curiosity, a lot of it is just inconvenience. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. I just oh, don't yeah. want to go between two houses. Right. Mm-hmm. And I miss you when I'm with dad and I miss dad when I'm with you. And yeah. that's it we've created traditions to make it easier and for us that is we order pancakes to the house on transition day so that even though we know it sucks we know it's never going to be good we know they hate that inconvenience and and I have to that's a great word to use because truly like I don't think they're that upset to go there they're just upset that they have to change where they are that's valid like I hate even going to a hotel for that reason like I hate having to pack up my things every night like I get it we order pancakes to the house on Sunday mornings and they arrive and we always have pancakes pancakes and then they go and I've called them transition day pancakes for the last couple of years that we've been doing it. I love that. And, uh, and at the same time, I almost always have to be very emotionally ready on their transition day back. Cause no matter how well it went there, no matter how amazing it's all going, there's this, I've had to witness it like every single week for the last five years, that day is so tough on them. Like I, if they're just so much spicier with you, there's, they were so much yep. more attitude walking in the door and you're like, why are you mad? Like so for the, for the, earliest times I was like, why are you mad at me? Like, what if I didn't do anything? Like you just walked into my door. Why are you pissed? Yeah. And then I realized like, it's just, they don't have anywhere for their emotions to go. Like, there's just like, Oh, I hate this part of the week. Like, or just like, they don't have any, it's not, nothing's even happened. They just hate that part of the week. And and now that I've like learned that I'm like, gosh, I'm, I'm a little annoyed when I get tired, when I get, have to shuffle things around. Like I get it. It is inconvenience for them. But at the end of the day, they have like a very beautiful loved life that is like sort of very much built around them and built around their needs and everything that we could possibly do for them. Right. So it is that silver lining, but it's also 
not, it's just a reality that we were never modeled. So it's, there's not a lot of, not a lot of sitcoms, not a lot of books, not a lot of Disney movies that tie around blended families and tie around co-sharing. It's usually like somebody died and then dad had to get remarried. Like these are the storylines we see. We don't often see, we actually just have like exes and we, we co-parent. And again, the movie, Marry Me, everybody needs to watch it. I'm apparently I'm their so newest watching influencer, <laughs> but they Tonight. talk about he co-parents and that as well. And, and uh, it's so good. I watch it on a plane. I don't even know where to watch it, but yeah, I think I, I love all the advice you're giving. And I think that these are a lot of the things that people really get hung up on is like, I don't even know how to do this. Like, how do I go through it? And that's why I'm so excited that you do what you do. And we could sit here all day and unpack every little ounce of divorce. And I would love every second of it because I feel like I'm still doing that. But let's tell everyone where they can kind of dive into everything you're doing, grab the book. Maybe they're like, knowing that something's coming up, maybe they're like, I want to be a better support person to somebody going through divorce. Where can we go and find you and start tuning into this work around divorce? Yeah. Thanks, Sarah. So the book is Make Lemonade, Thrive Through Divorce by Transforming Your Life, all the things we've been talking about. And it's available on Amazon, on on all of the book retailers that you can imagine. It's available in hard copy, but also in Kindle because there are people that do want to, right? Have this experience and confidence. Yes. They're just becoming informed and learning what the skills are and the, the resources. LemonadeLife.ca is the website. I love Instagram. There's a beautiful community there. We're also on Facebook, Lemonade Life Coach in both places. I love to be in conversation. I'm always available to people. DM me, email me, Alicia at LemonadeLife.ca. And really, I, I just want to be available in real time. Yeah. You know, for women who are going through this, because what I know is that it takes community. It mm-hmm. takes support. Mm-hmm. It takes connection, a certain type yeah. of connection, right? You get yeah. it. I yeah. see you in me, right? If you yeah. can do it, so can I. Yeah. And it takes coaching, right? These yeah. are skills. We're skill building. I just, yeah, I just, I love the opportunity to share this. And I thank you so much for how all these things. It means so much to me too, because it sometimes I'm like, it has to be for something. Like you don't just go through something like that just to abandon everybody whoever goes through it again. Like there's this you know it, like we both have it right now. Like there's this connection you get with people who go through a divorce, even if it's half of us, like it statistically is, Yeah, there is something that ties us together, like a trauma, like a life change, like a grief like that, that we understand of each other. And it takes like, I'm happily married with like a family that is so, so good co-parenting so well. And I still cry like at these conversations because it's such a big thing that nobody talks about enough. Or if you talk about it too much, it's like, why are you not over it? Like it's, this is hard stuff. It takes community. It takes other people. Thank you so much for making yourself so available to women going through this because I try to be, and it's hard. It's hard to be that available for people, but like, obviously like you're in that work. And I think that's so special and so important. And I just thank you so much for your time. Obviously this has been a really powerful conversation for me And I hope for everybody listening as well, just uh, thank you so much. And for everyone listening, everything's going to be in the show notes for you. I hope you listened with curiosity. I hope you listened, even if you're like in the happiest place of life, just to even think about your core values and how we're going to start moving forward with them so that no matter what happens in life, we have, you know, these aligned values for ourselves that we can keep carrying forward 
no matter what happens. And uh, thank you, Alicia, so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Sarah. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening all the way through this episode. If you've made it this far, I have one more little thing to share with you. Did you know that I actually have a photo and video editing app? So many people were surprised to hear that I have one, but it's actually been around for a little while and you can join over 200,000 of the Papaya community by downloading my free app, Pink Papaya on iOS. While so many apps focus on changing your appearance, Pink Papaya is all about celebrating yourself for exactly who you are and expressing your creativity and your storytelling with nearly 50 free filters and tools. Find us on social and share your edits as well. We might just share them too. So tag me as well at Pink Papaya app. Just had to share that with you, especially as the springtime's coming. We've got some really cool things happening in there and so much more coming. Check it out at Pink Papaya app. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.